0: Hey guys, you are listening to killer cocktails where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends pretend to be bartenders and talk about gruesome murders Each week we feature a new cocktail which has to tie into our stories Although we are a casual comedy podcast some of our subject material can be explicit listeners be advised
1: Alright, we are coming at you live here from Central Oregon.
0: Beep be dee bee beep be This just in. Killer Cocktails is making another episode. Yay. I'm Jackie. <laughs> I'm Trey. <Drea. laughs> Hi guys. This is uh if
1: you can tell the distance between us. I feel so far from you. We are in different places. Normally we're but a couch away.
0: Just a pillow away. I could like reach out and touch your feet. Oftentimes our feet accidentally touch, and it's weird. It's so creepy, especially when during my story I'm like, uh, "Please don't, please
1: don't." Well, my feet are safely twenty miles up a butte from you.
0: Yeah, we uh, we're practicing social distancing, and uh, we're working with technology today. So right, let me tell you, I feel like a real wheeler and dealer. Why?
1: Because like like what's happening on my screen right now? Oh. I I feel fancy. You fancy, huh? I was on a work conference call the other day. Oh. That felt
0: fit. Fa- like, yeah. I'm- Hot damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Jackie, what are we drinking today? Today we are drinking the Harvey Wallbanger. Nice. What does that and consist of?
1: So I knew about this drink. So my mom's parents would throw parties in the 60s, 70s, and oh. they would and they would have Harvey Wallbangers. It was like the Ragey drink of the time You'd make a big old punch bowl of them Oh, it's supposed to be like a punch? Yeah, you'd have a big old punch bowl oh. And you'd make a ton of it And then people would like Ladle it into their cup And they'd get so crazy They'd put a
0: lampshade on their head Is this just at your parents' parties? or No, that's like,
1: like That's a <laughs> lot, That's an old joke about People getting drunk And putting a lampshade on their head Like, Oh Yeah You
0: never heard guess, that? No I guess I don't see a lot of lamps anymore in my life Well, you know This is a story from the time of the prime <laughs> perfect um what's all
1: in this cocktail it's essentially a screwdriver with a fancy floater of liquor on top so you do uh in whatever kind of vessel you want but you have ice you've got vodka you have orange juice and then you stir that up and then on top of that you're gonna float
0: galliano Mm -hmm. which is a kind of like spiced it's like a spicy liqueur yeah it's a a really deep yellow and Mm -hmm. uh, do not drink it by itself yeah, I tricked you into doing that. Yeah, that was, I hate you. It was like well, spicy licorice. It didn't
1: take much tricking. You always want to taste the weird ingredient.
0: Yeah, I, to, I want to smell everything. I want to taste everything. And then I want to put it all together and then taste it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: it, I not, don't think that's outrageous. It's not to be consumed by itself. So <laughs> in in basically, you end up with a screwdriver that pretty much just tra- t- tastes like a screwdriver, but it's got a little bit extra of a boozy kick to it.
0: Yeah. My whole thing is, like, who was like, you know what? We, we should make the screwdriver, but with this, like, crazy other liqueur that doesn't taste go by it. So, like, who thought that those pairings would go together? So the history
1: of this drink is a little muddied. There's a story that's, that this one dude, I think down in L.A., but he's Where? from a New York bar, L.A. <laughs> um, right. He tries to tell this story that he made the drink for this surfer dude that used to come into his bar... And his name was Harvey. And he was like, give me something that's going to make me bang my head on the wall. Or There's some story there where he was like, okay. And he made him this drink. But everyone else is like, that's a bullshit story. That's not real. The, <laughs> there's like a really famous like ad agency that came up with the marketing of... Like, they wanted to sell Galeano, and they were yeah. like, What could we put this in? Let's put it in a screwdriver. Okay. Let's make like a cool caricature dude that's a surfer guy. Let's call it Harvey Wallbanger. Like, there's other people who are like, The whole thing's just an advertisement and
0: it's made up. It's like chia seeds. I don't know what you mean by that. So, you know, back in like when we were growing up, they had the chia chia pet. Oh. So, I, I have a theory. I wanted
1: one real bad, and
0: uh-huh. I was a little disappointed when I got it. So, I have a theory that. They had all these like chia seed like you know fields, and they have like cultivating, and they yeah. invested all this money, and they're like chia chia pets are going to be the next greatest thing, you know, since sliced bread. And then and they, they were for it. a while, and but yeah, they were for a while, but then they tanked, and so then they're like, you know what, chia seeds, they're the new superfood, and then everybody just started eating them. Are uh, they not good for you? No, they are. I'm just saying that you know they pivoted with their marketing. They're like, all okay, right, these chia seed pets aren't working. It's you just know a what running was be- theory. You know what
1: was better than the chia head? Was what? the grass head.
0: Ooh, yeah, because grass
1: grows. It grows oh. so much fat. You got to cut... The whole point of the chia head was you got to cut hair. Everyone has yeah. to cut people's hair. And what? you can't. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a real dangerous game that you can't play like you don't get to cut people's (laughs) hair so the chia head was a great alternative for people who had this internal drive to cut Uh, hair which i definitely have always had and you wait wait wait, 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 wait. do i have to be worried when you have scissors in your hands no i've never cut someone's hair
0: i understand that that's crazy but you want to oh yeah (laughs) like you like want to shave me bald no
1: not in a malicious
0: way and i don't want to cut your hair
1: okay why not it's too long. That's too tricky. Oh. But you want to
0: give someone, like, a nice haircut.
1: I would like to know what I'm doing with a pair of scissors. I think it'd be cool. Or buzzers.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. if you were to shave uh, the side of Kimberly's head that's already shaved, would I that would, be satisfying?
1: No, no. She is too particular. I would Ooh! be nervous the whole time. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> nope. I I'm going to about... let
0: Drea shave my head today.
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry, Drea, when she gets mad at you that it's not the way she wanted it. You know what she's
0: going to do? She's going to be like... Oh, she's gonna um. tell you it's fine. She'll go. She'll go high and she'll go. It's fine. It's fine. fine. And then her eyes will roll into the back of her head.
1: And then she will drive immediately (laughs) in quarantine to someone to fix it. They won't let
0: her. That's why I know me to shave it. Don't do it. Oh, don't do it. I'm nervous for you. Friends will be broken today. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. Nope. that's it. That's it.
1: That's yeah. That cocktail. I, well, I was gonna. I was gonna ask her if I could do it, but then I was like, No, I'm stuck on quarantine. I can't get there. <laughs>
0: I'll hold. Oh, I'll be blindfolded, and then you can tell me like left or right. I'll be your eyes. I like. You'll it. be my eyes. It'll eye. work it's... out best this way. I don't think Kimberly's like
1: stoked about this. I just looked at my hands, and they look like old lady hands. They're so dry from all the washing. Yeah, all the quarantining. Things. Oh, they they look real old lady.
0: <laughs> You're getting ready for your. My second Fear. career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does the podcast uh, know that I'm going to be an old woman actress? The podcast? Oh yeah, yeah, we've talked about it. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Do you want to tell them again? No, I'm going to be an old woman actress. <laughs> and not until I'm old. Yes. Thanks not for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, that kind of wraps up Cocktail Hour. Um, are you ready for some day? I'm ready. Okay. I'm going to tell you about Robin Getch. And uh, Robin is born on November 30th of 1953 in Mednard, uh, Illinois, USA. Thank you for that clarification. (laughs) Anytime. Um, When he is in his late teens to early 20s, he starts working as a construction subcontractor uh, with PDM contractors. Um, In case you don't know, when you are working in construction, you're like knocking down walls, you're like banging down walls you possibly will be doing a wall (laughs) banger. That's good. Thank you. So my tie to the Harvey wall banger cocktail is construction workers who bang down walls. Yep. Yay. Nice. Thanks. (laughs) It's not my proudest moment, but I'm going to take it. No, I think that's clever. (laughs) Thank you. So he's working as a subcontractor and he's working on this one particular house Um, and he would help dig out dirt from like various crawl spaces under the floor of the house. And sometimes um, either he or his co coworkers would have to shovel concrete over certain areas in the basement um, or in the garage. Um, or sometimes the owner of the house wanted them to spread lime in certain places. Oh, funny. And this house belonged to John Wayne Gacy. What? Your face right now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Whoa. Okay. So... Um so there's a theory that Robin Getch um was an accomplice to John Wayne Gacy because John Wayne Gacy when uh they're like interrogating him he he admitted that he might have had an accomplice but also there was a killing that happened when he was out of town so they're like he had to have had an accomplice but nothing has ever come of that uh, yeah. investigation so some people think that Robin might have been that accomplice um but the thing is um Robin would later say that He didn't work for John Wayne Gacy. And then it was just a rumor that got out of control to sell newspapers. So there's like a back and forth kind of thing. Or is
1: it just that he wants all the credit? He doesn't want to share his? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Robin is quoted as saying that Gacy's single mistake was not that he killed 33 young men, but it was because he kept the bodies under his house. And that's like why he got caught.
1: I'm I'm a little confused. Yeah. So we've got famous John Wayne Gacy who killed Mm -hmm. people and buried them in his house. Then you've got this Robin Getch character mm-hmm. who bought the house after John
0: nope. Wayne. Gacy? He's a he's a subcontractor. So John Wayne Gacy would have him come over and help him like dig out crawl spaces and got like it. fill in holes that he, you know. Oh, weird. Okay. Is not that weird? Yeah um and so um over the years so now we're just gonna follow Robin we're ju- we're done with John Wayne Gacy he's his own, about him he's his own crazy story that we'll cover one day but um over the years um Robin would meet young women and you know they start a relationship with each other um but then he, they would quickly realize that he was obsessed with their nipples and their breasts uh to the point where he was trying to stick pins through their areolas and he once sliced a small portion of a woman's breast that he was seeing mm. um, and he like tried to downplay it he's like I'm, I'm just so fascinated on how like the nipple and the breast works what mm-hmm. yeah yeah um but take obviously a class buddy take a class <laughs> uh no don't get educated in this don't get better at cutting now um but obviously a lot of these relationships would end so not much else is known about robin in his earlier days uh so i'm gonna dive right in to where it all gets bad um, so Robin gets really into heavy metal music and, um, this is kind of the time of the prime getting out of the prime where people are still having that satanic panic. Um, and speaking of Robin gets into satanic worshiping and he even converts a part of his apartment into a satanic temple.
1: I think, you know how, okay, people get all bent out of shape about the occult and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, they're listening to satanic music. Mm-hmm. A lot of these crazy people that we talk about were into that. Mm-hmm. So people aren't completely off-base being concerned about it. I think there's a lot of normal people that like it, too. Mm-hmm.
0: But is it, like, a thing where, because those ones are being reported on, so it's, you're not talking about the millions of people who listen to it that don't kill. You're you're talking about the people who... who That finite amount of people who do kill and do listen to it. True. Yeah. Because I bet you there's a serial killer out there who just loved Enya. <laughs> um, okay, so anyways... Robin starts driving around Chicago, and he has this red van, and he's looking for women to sacrifice to Satan. Um, and so we're going to jump into all all of the murders. Um, so on May 23rd of 1981, Linda Sutton, um, she's 28 years old, and she's abducted, she's raped, and she's stabbed to death. Her body is found 10 days later in Villa Park. And the weird thing about this is, like, um... There's, like, a a hotel, or it was more like a motel where sex sex workers were known to, like, go through. Um, So it's a little bit seedier. um, But, like, um, a maid could smell something coming off the field nearby. And she's like, that smells getting worse and worse and worse. I don't know what's going on. So she tells her manager, and then the manager, like, goes out into the field. And it's like, there's tons of trash out there. It's just, like, a dumping ground. And then he finds... um, linda's body mm. so they call the police and when they see her they can see that she's really decomposed and they're like man she's been out here for a really long time um but what they actually end up finding out is um because they don't have the body farm at this point so they don't have those resources but they tested the dirt underneath her for a uh, body fluid like leakage um and they realized that because um, one of her breasts had been removed it gave maggots and parasites an open uh, field day essentially to de- uh, eat her body and Good. like decompose it quicker than it normally would have um, so she would actually only been out there for like 10 days
1: Crazy. but
0: like you could see her skeleton underneath already because the decomp was so wow. uh, bad at that point point. Um, and then we have a 35 year old cocktail waitress is abducted from her car on February 12th of 1982 her gas tank is empty, um, which kind of shows that she was kind of stranded. And so she might have been waving down a car. Yeah. Um, and then her purse is in the front seat and her keys are still in the ignition. So they're like, it's not a robbery. Yeah. Um, and then a search turns up um, and she, they find her nude body near the road. Um, she has also been raped, tortured, and her breast has also been removed. Hmm. And at this point, they're trying not to report the missing breasts in the media because they want to hold that. they want that that to be a fact, yeah. Exactly, for the investigation. Uh, Mm -hmm. A few days later, the body of another woman wearing an engagement ring is discovered. She had also been raped and strangled. While her breasts were not removed, they had been badly bitten, um, and her killer had also masturbated over her body. But we don't have uh, DNA testing at this point, um, to the point where they could figure out who it could be, like narrow it down. Uh, about a year later, a red van pulls up alongside Lori uh, Broski as she is walking to work. Um, when she declines the driver's offer, uh, she's pulled inside the vehicle. She is then taken to a hotel room where she is raped and beaten. Um, a wire, um, oh, heads up, uh, my story is uh, very graphic. Um, so a wire is wound around one of her breasts and tightened until it's severed from her body. Ah. Uh, mm hmm. Robin then has sex with her removed breast and then kills her with an axe. Yikes. Um, her body wouldn't be found until five months later in a cemetery south of Villa Park, uh, which is the same general area where Linda was found. Jeez. Uh, two weeks later, uh, Shu is riding in her brother's car. And this is so sad. So she's like... She has a day job. She works for eight hours, and then she goes and works at her family's restaurant at night. And so she was getting ready home with her brother, but her and her brother get into this argument to the point where he's like, get out of the car. And it's like the middle of the night, so he makes her get out of the car, and he's thinking, we have other families coming, other family members following behind us in another car. She'll get picked up by them. Um, but instead, um, as she's walking, um, a, red, a red van pulls up next to her. I, um, hate, I hate it, Drea i know do you know how guilty that person feels i know i know i know i know and it's it's like not his fault there's no No. way you have no you have no idea and there was a heat of the moment yeah i don't like it so she's picked up in the red van and she's taken to an isolated wooded area and she is raped and her breasts are removed and she is found several months later um on june 13th in 1982 angel york expected uh she accepted an offer from a man to partake in sex work for the night. Um, And so she goes up to the red van um, and he proceeds to handcuff her and her breasts are slashed and she's left alongside the road. Uh, But she actually survives and she's found and taken to the hospital kind of like within an hour or less. And she tells police that she was forced to use a large knife um, to cut her own breast Open, like to make an incision um which the man then became so aroused that he uh, masturbated into her wound and then she he then used duct tape to close the wound and he left her on the side of the road oh my god yeah i like your uh, story it's gross I know. I gave you guys a heads up. Heads up. It's going to keep getting worse. Okay. Um, on August 28th, uh, Sandra De- uh, Delaware is found strangled on a riverbank with her wrist bound together behind her with a shoelace and her left breast is missing. On September 8th, Rose Beck's body is found and her face has been beaten so badly that they can't they can't identify yeah. her um carol Pappes, uh 42 is uh she's actually the wife of a chicago cubs player um she's abducted on september 11th while she's out shopping um and she's found behind a stairway of an apartment building and she has been stabbed raped and her breasts are severely cut um and the, the thing about the victims that are coming up they are of all walks of life all races um you have people who that's, sub- that's different that's unique yeah so you have people who sometimes partake in sex work you have people who work in like realty you have people who are just you know moms and they're out it's i think it's an opportunity thing Mm -hmm. um and it's like if you're out and you're alone and i see the opportunity to abduct you this is what they're doing it's
1: also it it speaks a little bit john Wayne gacy didn't wasn't it all like young boys oh yep young men Mm -hmm. so to think that this dude was his partner also Alleged, really allegedly allegedly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: that doesn't necessarily jibe yeah um okay so on october 6 beverly washington is found near some railroad tracks she has been raped stabbed and she has her left breast cut off but despite this she's still alive and she's found and she's rushed to the hospital um she's able to give the description of a man who had attacked her she tells them that a slender white man, um, around 25 years old, had taken her and he, he was wearing a flannel shirt and square-toed boots and he had greasy brown hair and a mustache. Um, he said that she was uh, making money as a sex worker and uh, the man had offered her some money and he had actually offered her more than she was asking and he was being kind of like really nervous and so uh, bes- besides all this, she gets in the van um, and she notices like the windows are tinted and there's like a wooden divider between the front seats and the back seats. Mm -hmm. And um, she also sees feathers and a roach clip hanging from the rear view mirror, just like identifiers of the the car. Um, And within three weeks on October 20th of 1982, police pull over a red van and question the the driver. He has red hair and does not resemble Beverly's description, but the van does fit her description Mm -hmm. perfectly. And so the driver tells them that his name is Eddie uh, Spretzer and that the van belongs to his boss. Robin Getch. Uh. Mm-hmm. So they track down Robin, and he fits Beverly's description perfectly. He's even wearing, like, the same flannel that she was talking about. I mean, he sounds like he's from Portland. Oh, no. I... Uh- chicago illinois that's what i'm saying like (laughs) grotto boots flannel mustache long hair i was like i don't know um so police keep digging and they find out that robin is one of four men who rented adjoining rooms at villa parks rip van winkle motel man that's a (laughs) that's a long name Uh, and they had all got these adjoining rooms, like, several months before Linda Sutton was murdered, which was right by where she was found. And the manager remembers them as, like, these party animals, and they were bringing women in and out of the rooms all the time, and he told the police that they were some kind of cultists and perhaps devil devil worshippers. Hmm. And so the police were like, hmm, interesting, let's look into this. Please hunt down um, one of the men and he is 23 years old and his name is Thomas Cocorales, Um and he's at his home and they take him in and they give him a polygraph and he fails it miserably. Oh. Um, and he tells them all about Robin's upstairs bedroom and how he, he and his brother Andrew and a twenty-three year old, a twenty-three year old man named Edward Spretzer all help capture women together and they torture them with knives and ice picks. They then gang rape them and finally sacrifice them to Satan. What? Like a group of people? Yeah, there's four men, and two of Yikes. them are brothers. Yikes! I know. So he, he explains to police that all four of them uh, would partake in cultic rituals, um, and this included them cutting one or both of the women's breasts with a wire. Um, they would each take communion uh, by eating a piece of the breast before the uh, before it was placed inside Robin's trophy Mm-mm. box. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Trophy box, gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, Thomas tells detectives that he had counted fifteen breasts inside the box um some other victims had been murdered at the rip van winkle and out in the villa park so they're not all happening um at, back at his apartment um police then what? yeah what's ha- what's happening with these decomposing breasts in this box um i'm not sure what he's doing with them keeping them for a little bit i don't all know all of it's so awful i know i know we're almost we're almost through this stay with me your face <laughs> it's gross uh, it's yucky go ahead uh, so please show him a picture of um, Boroski and he confirms that he and his brother had picked her up, um, and that's an earlier uh, victim. In mm-hmm. um, a search of Robin's apartment, reveals the satanic chapel uh, described by Thomas, and um, they actually also find this raf- uh, rifle that matches um, a drive-by shooting that just occurred. So like Robin and one of the other men had gone out, and they just started shooting, and I don't I don't think it was related to anything. They were just out to kill people. Yeah, they're just cuckoo. Which is interesting because they're out to kill women normally, it seems like. Yeah. And then they went, did this drive-by shooting. I thought that was interesting. Um, so obviously the police are like, this is nuts. We have enough information. We're going to take you all to trial. Uh, so although Robin's associates and other witnesses implicated him in uh, some of the deaths, because sometimes Robin would be involved, or sometimes it'd be a variation of all the men, mm-hmm. either together or separate. Um but they didn't have enough evidence to charge him with any of the murders, um, so Robin uh, gets one hundred and twenty years of um, uh, prison sentence hmm. um, um, for like uh, rape and kidnapping okay, and so, attempted yeah, not the murder. But yeah, okay, yeah. Um, Edward Spretzer and Andrew um, Kukulias, uh were sentenced to death um, on March sixteenth of nineteen ninety nine. Thirty five year old Andrew is executed by lethal injection. Um, and Thomas actually receives a life sentence. On March seventh of nineteen ninety nine, Robin's um, son David actually—this um, is just like a little aside from the story. So Robin's son and three others are charged with first degree murder in connection with a shooting of a police officer. Whoa! Yeah. So it's just interesting to see apples that. and trees. Yeah. Um, so altogether, um, they are known as the Ripper Crew, uh, but is believed. Uh, that they had killed over 18 women. Wow. With like over like 18 months to two years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Thomas um, has spent 35 years in prison and he was actually um, released on parole a couple of years ago. Um, And Robin is still trying to obtain DNA testing um, from some of the crime scenes because he's sure that it will um, dissolve his. Yeah, exactly. Um, But that's not moving forward. Um, And it's interesting because, um, you know, Robin this whole time has always said that he's innocent, like he has no part in this. And his wife and his family have actually uh, supported him 100% behind all of this. Um, Wife and family, okay. Uh huh. And he's actually eligible for parole in twenty twenty two. Yuck. Mm-mm. Yeah. Nope. Um. And yeah. So that's the story of the Ripper Crew of Chicago, Illinois. Dang. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And there's definitely more facts if you want to know more facts about this story. But um, I think I covered a decent a, amount. Yeah, of them. I'm a little
1: nervous about the release dates of some people and the mm-hmm. rehabilitation that may or may not have taken place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then at what point can you rehabilitate from that? Uh, can you? I don't think so. There's certain there's certain you there's a certain level of screw loose that I don't know
1: that we can put screws back.
0: Yeah. And they were saying that like Robin was definitely like the ringleader. He was the cult leader. And the other men were definitely frightened of him. And like two of them, the brothers, they were teenagers, And then the other guy was early twenties, and he was in his thirties, and um, they were just saying like, "Don't look into his eyes because he can he can make you do anything." Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Bummer Town, USA. Here we are. Woo hoo! Time for the intermission. Bye, guys. Ready? Yep. Three, two, one. Okay, I was like, you're not joining in. (laughs) Uh, Normally I don't. Normally that's your song. Hey guys, it's intermission time. We wanted to talk to you, as we always do. We wanted to see how you guys are doing. We're all stuck in our homes. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, We're all probably a little worried about the finances in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, So not really asking for any sort of donations. but your time, which I think everyone has a lot of time, mm-hmm. can you can you pop on over, do a little rate, like, subscribe, throw down some silly words if you feel like it? On the um, iTunes. But what's, what's super helpful is um, when we get those ratings, it pushes us up and it makes us more visible to other people. So right mm-hmm. now people are trying to consume a bunch of podcasts and voraciously looking for stuff. And if we can move ourselves up in those rankings,
0: it gets us out there to more folks yeah super appreciated guys we um or at least i refresh that itunes page like three times a day um (laughs) and it's been kind of stagnant so i'm like super stoked for the next one to come in and i'm be super appreciative too um drea doesn't
1: have any internet um, right now give her something (laughs) to look forward to
0: help help you guys i don't have internet
1: (laughs) i feel so bad for you
0: thanks (laughs) (laughs) um but speaking of like time on our hands um and you guys you might have a lot of time on your hands as well um we were gonna throw a little fishing rod into the the well of uh, possibilities and see if you guys would be open to doing a live show with us like a virtual live show yeah all Uh, our live shows have been rescheduled and postponed mm and we thought
1: maybe we do a a digital version of yeah. a live show.
0: So it would be like a format of an episode. We would uh, would tell you a cocktail beforehand. So maybe you guys could get the ingredients. You could drink along. Um, we do cocktail hour. We jump into our stories and you get to look at us and we might get to look at you and it'll be like well, looking back and forth. <laughs> you, you'll catch the things that sometimes we accidentally say and normally edit out. <laughs> you'll get all the, the live feeds. So if you, if that's something you guys are interested in, um, go ahead and slide into our DMS on Instagram or shoot us an email at killer cocktails, podcast at gmail.com. Um, and let us know if you would be into something like that. Cause I think that'd be something super fun for us to do too. Um, also, if you guys I got lots of time. Oh, You got lots of time. I got lots of time. (laughs) Got nothing but time. Also, if you guys aren't a part of our Facebook group, um, you go to our our Facebook page, and then there's like a private group that you'll have to like submit some questions to. to. Um, it's really exciting. It's like a pop quiz. Gets your brain going. Not really, but uh, but yeah, join our group. It's uh where you could chat with us and other people, and we could talk about true crime. We talk about cocktails. We could talk about whatever you want to talk about within reason. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh but yeah guys we got some stuff coming at you and we hope you guys are doing well and enjoying our show See let's get back to these crazy kids named dre and jackie oh i wonder God. what they're gonna tell us next <laughs> bye bye Hey guys, welcome back from intermission. We hope you guys got some snacks and you refreshed your cocktails and you're settling into your seats and ready for the next story. All right, Dre, are you ready?
1: <gasps> yes. Okay, so uh, I'm going to tell you about Randy Stephen Kraft. Okay. Um, he was born on March 19th, 1945 in Southern
0: California. Ooh, where in Southern California? Uh, Down in Southern California. Oh, perfect. It's not that big, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He had
1: three older sisters, um, and while he received a lot of attention from his mom, Opal, and from his sisters, his dad, Harold, kind of ignored him. Like, he just couldn't really get on dad's radar. Um, Mom was a sewing machine operator. Dad was a factory worker. So... Um, really early in his life, Randy had some pretty significant injuries when he was, like, an petite baby child. So he fell off a couch when he was only one Aww. and resulted in a broken collarbone. Yeah. And he fell downstairs when he was two, which knocked him unconscious, but they took him to the doctor, and the doctor was like, there's no permanent damage. Like, he just... Jeez. He just rung his bell. Yeah. So when he's three, um, his parents buy this old, like uh women's army corps dorm kind of building um it's pretty close to the beach it's like within a handful of miles and they turn it into the family house so uh, mom's super active in all the kids lives she's you know on pta she goes to cup scout meetings she makes sure they're all reading the bible um and meanwhile dad just kind of like works a ton and ignores i think everybody but specifically also ignores randy yeah um so Randy starts going to school, and they realize, uh, dude's pretty smart. So in 1957, when he would have been about, like, 12, they approve him uh, skipping up and, like, taking accelerated classes. Okay. By the time he's in high school, uh, he's kind of, he's gotten pretty political, and he identifies as a Republican, and he has dreams of being a U.S. senator. Uh, To give you, like, a little bit of context, like, California is very liberal, but Southern California, like Orange County-ish, like that's a fairly conservative pocket of California. Mm-hmm. Um, so Randy starts, uh, he starts this extracurricular club with his buddy, which has, I think, like a political bent to it. Um, he plays the saxophone. He plays tennis. He gets really good grades. He doesn't get in trouble. Um, he'd occasionally date girls. Uh, but there were rumors at the school about him secretly being gay. Okay. Um. Which his senior year of high school, he kind of secretly starts going to gay bars. So okay, he is gay. When he gets to college, he'll identify as gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of he hasn't come out in high school. Um he is pretty independent because both of his parents work a ton. So he's got his own car. He's got a job. He makes money. Um, he keeps his grades up. He graduates in the top 3% of his class Wow! in 1963, and he starts going to Claremont College. Ooh, we're starting to get into the prime. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting there. Okay. So uh, in the beginning of college, he's still relatively conservative. Um, he joins the Claremont Reserve Officers Training Corps. So it's like an ROTC of sorts, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd go to pro-Vietnam War rallies. He supported the Republican president, uh, presidential hopeful uh, Barry Goldwater. So he's like a young conservative in college. Um, but the more he starts to identify as gay and, and joins kind of Southern California gay culture, he starts identifying less and less with the Republican Party. Okay. So in 1964, he starts working as a bartender at a gay bar called The Mug. Um, the, and he, the, like The Mug? Like, like a mug, mug? Yeah, like a coffee mug. Oh. Um, he starts trekking out to like Laguna Beach and Huntington Beach um, for some kind of casual encounters with male sex workers. Okay. So he hasn't really had a relationship with a guy yet, but he's kind of exploring sexuality with um, male sex workers that he's just kind of like picking up at the beach. Um he then does start to have some relationships with guys, and he brings them home to meet his parents, but he doesn't, like, overtly say, this is my boyfriend.
0: Mm-hmm. He he's just,
1: like, this is just a friend. This is my friend. But he's b- also kind of thinking they'll pick up on it, but they don't pick up on it, and they're really religious. Uh, um, uh-oh. And so it, it, they meet several boyfriends, but don't really know that they're boyfriends that they're meeting. Then... Um, in 1966, he propositions an undercover cop at Huntington Beach, mm. uh, but they let him go because he ultimately doesn't have a record and they're kind of just like, get out don't of here. Don't do stuff. this again. Yeah, don't do that. Then in by 1967, he no longer considers himself a Republican. He registers as a Democrat. He starts campaigning pretty strongly for Robert Kennedy, so JFK's brother. Um, he's so involved in uh, kind of helping promote him that he receives a personal letter from Robert Kennedy. Whoa. Uh, He starts kind of feeling like shit, though, at this time. And he starts getting these headaches and he's got like stomach aches. Um, They prescribe him like tranquilizers and pain meds. Whoa. But at this point, he's also kind of started to drink a bunch. So he's drinking on top of... Kind he's of like self medicating. Heavy stuff that he's getting. So, and do they know what's going on, or they're just they like, don't, ret- no, they don't really know what's going on. Trying to treat the si- symptoms. That's what it sounds like. So, then okay. um, he's no longer really a good student at this point. He's kind of started st- like, He's rocking a mustache. He's growing his hair out. He's kind of leaning into the hippie look. Um, he's staying up late. He's gambling. Um, he ends up missing his graduation date. Like, he doesn't make it where he's going to graduate on time
0: because
1: mm-hmm. um, he fails an econ class. He's an economics major. Oh, oh no. <laughs> uh, he does end up graduating. I think it's like eight months later. So he ends up graduating in 1968. Um, and then when he gets out, he's like, all right. So he takes the Air Force aptitude test. Mm -hmm. and he scores really high so then he enlists he uh gets promoted pretty quickly he ends up being uh airman first class he's stationed in southern california he has like a brief stint i think in like texas but he comes back he's in southern california um and it sounds like a pretty sweet gig like he's just supervising the painting of airplanes
0: oh
1: okay doesn't sound super hard (laughs) um don't diminish point, that job <laughs> yeah uh you missed a spot <laughs> oh, no. it's like the worst manager <laughs> um excuse me <laughs> so uh he he now very much identifies uh with being a gay man he's like you know what i i want to like explicitly tell my family this while so, in the air force yes okay in the late 60s okay so he writes his family a letter And explicitly tells them he's gay. Um, And at first it doesn't go over well, but ultimately they do accept him. Um, Things are always a little bit strained after that. Like his sister said, um, he just kind of didn't come around as often. Once he was like out, maybe his feelings were hurt about how it was first dealt with. Mm -hmm. um, But things were never really the same family-wise once he came out. Gotcha. Um, In 1969, he comes out to his superiors in the uh, Air Force. Okay, and he receives a medical medical grounds general discharge, which he fights, and he's like, "Uh, "No, there's nothing medically wrong with me." Um, And ultimately, like the appeal, like he doesn't win his appeal, and he's just discharged. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. So, this is about the time he goes off the deep end. In the spring of 1970, uh, so now we've entered the time of the prime. Time of the prime. Uh, Randy's down at Huntington Beach, his old stomping grounds, and he comes upon a 13-year-old kid named Joseph Gerald Francher. Okay. And Joseph tells Randy that he's just run away from home. And Randy's like, you know what? Why don't you come? Like, I've got an apartment. not really, really far. Why don't you come live with me if you're homeless right now? So uh, they get there. Randy uh, drugs him, gives him a bunch of drugs, assaults him, um, and then leaves the kid at his apartment when he goes off to go to work so joseph uh wakes up like he's like i gotta get out of here leaves he's like stumbling down the road a passerby calls an ambulance because they see a like really drugged up kid who looks like hell walking down the side of the road yeah um he ends up in the hospital they have to pump his stomach because of all the drugs that randy gave him then uh he starts singing and telling police all about randy and like where where the apartment is and he doesn't tell them about the sexual assault.
0: Okay, and he he's just does like I was he's like drugged. this guy
1: kidnapped me and drugged me. Um, so then they figure, oh, they go to the apartment. Randy's got a roommate there, and the roommate's like, oh yeah, come on in. Uh, nope, nothing. Like I don't think any of that, and kind of like
0: dismisses it, off. it. And yeah. ultimately,
1: they don't file any charges against Randy because they don't know about the assault. And because Joseph was like, well, I took the drugs he gave me. We were doing drugs together. Mm. So it ends up kind of being nothing. So he gets away with that. Okay. Then in 1971, Randy enrolls in Long Beach State University. So he wants to be a teacher because he can't be in the Air Force anymore. So he's like, all right, I'll be a teacher. He starts driving a forklift for some extra cash. um, And he meets this guy in class called Jeff Graves. So he starts dating Jeff And uh, they move in together and Jeff starts teaching him about uh, bondage and threesomes and like intentionally mixing drugs with sex. Mm -hmm. Um, In the fall of 71, they will discover a body of 30-year-old Joseph Duquette near a highway uh, it's too decomposed to, and they can't really tell if there's any foul play. They just find a body of a naked man, mm-hmm. and when they do like toxicology on it, they go, "Well, he died of acute alcohol poisoning." And Joe, and so the uh, this uh, this person that they found, his name is Joseph, and Joseph was a bartender at a local gay bar called the Stable, out okay. in Sunset Beach. So, um they will later discover randy has a journal or a they call it, they end up calling it a scorecard of all the bodies and all of his victims why do they do that and there's a note Ugh. in so they think this is one of his first victims cuz there's cuz it's kind of like itemized and it, it's like sometimes it's initials sometimes it's like a description of what happened to the body sometimes like this one just said like the stable and oh so my that God. that was how they were able to say okay Joseph was probably one of his victims. So they start like, but all that kind of comes out later. Um, So they find just bodies and bodies of young men, many of them Marines, discarded along highways. Their bodies have high levels of alcohol, tranquilizers. Uh, They've been bound. They've been bitten and beaten, sodomized. This just goes on for years, just years, years, all through the 70s.
0: Jeez. So, uh, and he's doing this with this other guy, or it's just him.
1: So, some of the bodies, when they're looking at the um, like investigating the crime scene, mm. they're saying the way that body was moved had to have been moved by two people. Gotcha. Like, most of it points to one person, but there's a couple where everyone's like, mm, uh, This seems like the work of two people. Yeah, okay, so. Like, we know, because I'm telling you the story, so we know about Randy, but it's the mid-70s and police do not know who's doing this. In 1975, they've got 14 bodies that they all think are part of the same serial killer. Mm -hmm. They convene a task force. They bring in the FBI. They're like, hey, we need to have a profile. Like, we have a problem down here in Southern California. They describe the killer as methodical organized that he's a lust killer he has above average intelligence um and he exhibits an indifference to the interests and welfare of society so that's like what the profile is yeah um there's also theories floating around at the time where they go we think he's ex-military um because and this do- didn't make a ton of sense to me uh a bunch of the bodies were found with articles of clothing or other body parts um like inserted into orifices so like he'd stick a sock up someone's rectum or he'd put like tissues in their nose so they wouldn't i'd never heard this term before so that the bodies wouldn't purge while he was
0: transporting them gotcha so that was like they linked that back to a military thing or a medical yeah they
1: they linked that to ex-military and i don't know
0: why that connection is there maybe like that's something they learn when they're out in the field like say they're yeah, out I guess. doing that and they have to bring back their mm-hmm. their kind yeah i don't know i don't know okay um but yeah so then uh okay so that's all in the in,
1: you know mid 70s so in 1975 Randy and Jeff so Jeff Graves is his boyfriend they break up uh in 75 Randy kind of wants to settle down he wants to be um not exclusive cuz they're into threesomes but like he wants Jeff to be like it's you it's you forever Mm -hmm. so then um randy meets this other guy jeff selig who's 19 at a party and they really hit it off so there's a big age difference between them Mm -hmm. and i think you know uh randy and jeff move in together randy starts teaching jeff like how to cruise for people that they're gonna go have threesomes with um they buy this little house uh, they both get good jobs. Randy starts traveling a lot for work. He goes to Oregon a bunch. He goes to Michigan. Um, and things are good with them until about 1982. Mm-hmm. All right. So we had a breakup and a new relationship in 1975. And we had a breakup in 1982. What they'll say is that victims, when he was going through these breakups, had the highest level of torture while he was going through well, things in his own personal life.
0: So, and is he mainly, because he's traveling for work, is he mainly still hunting in Southern California, or is he also going to Oregon and doing stuff? They're going to start tying bodies to him. in. Oregon. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So in
1: 1983, so he's broken up with his serious guy, and now he's solo. So uh, he's pulled over because he's weaving all over the road, and police suspect a Harvey Wallbanger, uh, a.k.a. a drunk driver, Oh my god, that's such a great tie. Oh my gosh. It was a, a term in the 70s. Oh, we got a Harvey Wallbanger over here.
0: Uh, Dude, that's amazing. That's my time. Good good cut. That, okay. You you win this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they suspect a drunk
1: driver, they pull him over, Randy gets out of the car before the cops even get up to the car. Randy gets out, he approaches them, he stinks of booze, his flies down. Um he immediately fails the roadside sobriety test. Um, they get him kind of pulled off to the side. They go and look in his car, and there's a guy passed out in the front seat with his pants around his ankles. So then they like go to wake that guy up, and they realize that this man, Terry Gambril, his wrists are tied. He has strangulation marks, and that he is not alive. Oh. So they search his car, and they uh. find 47 Polaroids of young men, unconscious or dead. They don't know. Ah! They find the journal with his scorecard. It has sixty-one cryptic entries in it. So they're kind of thinking, okay, this guy's killed sixty-one people.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Sixty-two, if you include the guy they just found. Um, they search his home. They find fingerprints, clothing, just ev- just so much evidence.
0: Yeah. Then
1: they now they have him in their sights, and they're like, okay. You were when were you in Oregon? They look at all the dates like, OK, here's a missing person. Here's a like, OK, here's a body. So they start tying all this stuff to him in Michigan and like tying it to his journal, to the scorecard. Yeah. So then the prevailing theory is that from 1971 to 83 that he killed 67, excuse me, <clears throat> 67 men. Oh, my gosh. Typically, he'd lure them into his car either with booze or drugs or sometimes he'd offer them rides. Sometimes like, sometimes it was gay men. Sometimes it was straight men. And it would just be like, oh, I'm going to go get drunk with this guy. He's going to give me a ride. Um, a lot of them. Okay, So investigators do think that he had an accomplice. And they think okay. it was this first boyfriend, Jeff. So Jeff Graves, at least during that span of time where a lot of bodies are being found.
0: yeah,
1: um, He's kind of their obvious choice. They're like, all right, let's go talk to Jeff because we're pretty sure he has a part of this. They start interviewing him and by the time they're talking to Jeff, he's in late stage AIDS and he tells them, quote, I'm not really going to pay for it, you know, and then he kind of dies. What? So I- I'm pretty sure Jeff was an accomplice to all yeah. of these. Um, He. What about the new boyfriend? They. I don't think he's tied up in any of this stuff. Okay. Um, so let's go back in time. They almost caught him in 1975 because he <gasps> was kind of like he had broken up with first Jeff uh-huh. and he's being he was kinda, on a rampage. He's gonna being loose and crazy. Yeah So uh, he picks up these so there's like two kids like teenagers and he picks them up and they all have a bunch of like alcohol and drugs and Valium and then he's being kind of weird and they're like, like kind of sticking up to him. He kicks one of them out of the car. And then drives off with the friend, and he's in a like a really noticeable. I can't remember what kind of car it is, but they're like, we definitely know. Like we're looking for a black, you know, Cadillac or whatever it was. So he disappears with this kid, who then ends up being. They find his decapitated head. They find his skull in a uh, like a water, not like a like a like an aqueduct of things. Yeah. Um, they, the coroner at this time, so this is in the mid-70s, the coroner says that the body, because they don't have the body, they say that this guy died of an accidental drowning and just he was, did, lost his head That's somehow not a thing. in this no. accidental drowning.
0: No, that's not a thing. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. So,
1: Randy, so the kid who got kicked out of the car who then his friend died and everyone's like oh he accidentally drowned he's like uh no we were hanging out with this dude who was giving us drugs and then like kicked me off and took off with him yeah then uh they're like well we don't know you really know what you're talking about so then like this guy and his friends are like cruising around the neighborhood and a couple streets over they see the car (gasps) so then they call police they're like here's the license plate here's the car this dude is the one who kidnapped my friend yeah So then they go and they meet with Randy and because it's Randy's car, they meet with Randy and Randy's like, oh, well, yeah, I did hang out with those guys. We did do a bunch of drugs together. We were driving all around, but then I got my, my car got stuck and I left that dude in my car and I walked down the road. And called my roommate and was like, hey, my car's stuck. Can you come help me? And then he came and helped. me. So he concocts this whole story about by the time he gets back to his car that the kid's gone. Uh-huh. What about the roommate? Did the roommate, like, say? The roommate's say- Jeff Graves, who probably was murdering ah, people with him. So Jeff, no. so they called Jeff, and Jeff's like, oh, yeah, no, my roommate did call me. He said his car broke down. Like, he totally confirms the story. Ugh. That's and then insane. the police are like, "Oh yeah, he probably wandered off because this guy's car broke down, and then he drowned, and then lost his head." That's the not whole a thing, thing. The whole thing is so crazy.
0: I mean, could you like, could you imagine if they had actually caught him? Like years and years worth of killings could have been prevented. I, and yeah, uh, And then what an interesting time because like, did police not look into it because they're like maybe these are gay men that were having a thing so they're they're like it's not worth the time living, living high, versus this lifestyle because of the time it, that it was in the in the 70s
1: yeah they ultimately they end up charging him for 15 murders not mm-hmm. like all 60 some odd yeah um and yeah so he's found guilty uh he's given the verdict of death so this is in 1989 like to finish all that up you're guilty Um, then he's formally sentenced in, all that kind of happens like late summer, uh, in the fall. Then it goes to the Supreme Court. They uphold that ruling. So he's through with appeals. He's on death row at, uh, San Quentin State Prison. And then I'm trying to think as if he's, I feel like he died, but he might still be alive and just kicking in San Quentin.
0: Did they ever, um connect every person in his ledger to a body or there's still like a, they're super cryptic. So there's a lot of
1: like, they think like, like giving family closure, but they're not going to
0: try, yeah. try him for them. Yeah. Yeah. Like
1: he had a couple, there were a couple different nicknames. Like they called him the freeway killer. They called like when they didn't know who he was and they didn't know about this scorecard, they referred to him as the freeway killer. Um, but then once the, like now, if you Google stuff, like he comes up as the Scorecard Killer. Oh, gotcha.
0: That's crazy. But that's like there,
1: it the things he did to these people were so awful. Like and like and you can like you can if you feel like googling it, like they'll go this victim, their name, this is what happened to that one. This and there's a lot of similarities, but they're just it's atrocious.
0: Yeah, that's so sad.
1: And it doesn't, Ugh. you know, he, his dad. Yeah, his dad never hugged him but mm-hmm. like but he he was super smart he got good great like he did like all like everything about his young adulthood
0: seemed like a normal childhood seemed super
1: normal yeah
0: it just it seemed like you know it could be a, a varying possibilities but like he was part of a community a couple times and then he yeah. for some reason either he or left or they pushed him out. You, know, you
1: get into your 20s mm-hmm. and your brain chemistry flips like i don't yeah. And I don't you, said, know.
0: you said drugs were
1: involved, too, so that yep. could definitely play. Yeah, he definitely was into into a bunch of drugs. Ugh, I hate it. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. That was one uh, where I was like, I really liked
0: my tie, and I started getting into the story, and I was just like, oh, this is <laughs> awful. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> uh, well, do you need some self-care? I definitely do. Okay, so as always, Kimberly told me a joke the other day, so I'm going to try to retell it from my memory. These are the best, because you could never get them right. <laughs> Um, wh- what's the opposite of quarantine? Oh no! You god, fuck! No you, no no! Did you just no. give me the punchline? You always start them with the punchline. No, no no no! What's the what's the opposite of isolation? Oh my god! No? What is it? Oh, god No. <laughs> Wait. What is I don't know what. Uh, okay, Jackie. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that the opposite? of isolate is you so early what oh
1: <laughs> i didn't get it i didn't get it oh that's well, funny isolate that used so early that's funny
0: that, that i was, like that one that was good that took me I, a beat <laughs> that took me a while <laughs> uh, what
1: I can't really ask you what show... Well, I can ask you what shows you're watching. You don't have any internet still. Tiger, Tiger
0: Kings. Tiger I got to watch it? Yes! Have you not watched it? No. Oh, oh, my God. Um. Wait, just a second. Um. Okay, so you definitely need to wa- watch uh, Tiger Kings, a uh, white underscore rabbit and i on instagram because oh. uh, she started watching it and so i was like I okay, like I when to. you
1: guys are watching shows
0: together <laughs> um she's a listener and she uh works or, or she lives on the east coast and so it's always funny when we like get on the same show because she, her commentary is so funny when she she's watches hilarious. shows um but yeah she started watching tiger kings um and she got her boyfriend to watch it who never watches true crime so she's like i'm easing him into it because it's this cr- crazy story of these several different people who are super into big cats and they have big cat, cat sanctuaries. I'm yeah. quote, like air yeah. quoting that. Um. But like one of the main guys is just he's a personality. He and looks then, like a personality. And then you have this woman who's like trying to save big cats, but at the t- same time she has a crazy history and she doesn't she doesn't seem on the up and up either. And then there's this other guy who has like a harem of women and like it's crazy. It's crazy. You have to watch. And then you know you learn all about big cats and. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna yeah. do oh, it. And and there's true crime in it, obviously. So well, I definitely didn't, see. I didn't know there was a
1: true crime element. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like, I just thought the... this was about a weird dude who's into tigers. No, oh, and it's not. It's not just about tigers. It's like all sorts of crazy nonsense. There's
1: a bunch of big cat stuff out here in Oregon. You know this, yeah? Uh, no. Not only is there wildlife safari, but there's also like big cats out in Cave Junction. Yeah.
0: Oh. Huh. Can you, you could go to it or no? Mm-hmm. Well, not right now. You can't go anywhere. Well, yeah. Thanks. Um, but yeah, what are you watching? Uh, Forged in Fire. What's that? Uh,
1: uh, it's a bunch of blacksmiths that come and they make uh every episode's different, but they it's like a you, you they try to make knives and like hatchets and swords and stuff. Yeah, and it's just kind of interesting. Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, well, you guys, that's been another week with Killer Cocktails. Jackie, in case you've forgotten, this is the podcast where the drinks are stiff. And the bodies are stiffer. Hell yeah. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Be sure to check out our Instagram, at Killer Cocktails Podcast, or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com. dot com. For up-to-date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlas. And we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder <laughs> 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 Oh, yay.
0: Here we go. Uh, okay. Jackie. Mm-hmm. Since we are all in quarantine, you need to remember to wash your hands like you're washing Jason Momoa. (laughs) I don't get everyone's Uh, hands clean. Who the F washes their hands with their tongue. (laughs) 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 Uh, That was a a Facebook thing that Kimberly just gave me to read.